Hi, everybody. This is uh, Silvio Canto in Dallas, uh, Texas, on Wednesday, January the 3rd. And welcome to our commentary. Happy New Year. This is the first time uh, you've connected with us in this year of 2024. As, as uh, we mentioned, I hope you had a, a chance to uh, listen to our conversation with uh, Bill Katz, the editor of Urgent Agenda that we recorded uh, yesterday. This is going to be this is going to be a very, very exciting year. Uh, and I say exciting both ways, good and bad, and also a year where I think foreign policy is going to be at the top of the headlines. Uh, there are some problems around the world. Uh, you got China, you've got Iran, you've got Russia, you've got Venezuela, you've got Cuba opening uh, its territory to the Russians and the Chinese. You've got the situation in Mexico with the cartels, the border. There's just a lot of things up in the air. And uh, normally they don't all happen at the same time. But if one of those, one or two of those things were to go the wrong way, it could be a very difficult year for the, the United States and, and for the Biden administration. So, you know, we're hoping for the best, uh, but, you, but you do have to consider the risk of all of these things uh, that could happen in 2024. I have a post over at the American Thinker today. And it's it's an interesting or it's a change of pace for me because I'm actually writing a post about the Latin mass, you know, the, the Catholic mass in Latin, which is, of course, the way it used to be until Vatican II in the late 60s. I mean, for centuries, the mass was in Latin, in the language of Latin. And the people would sit there and the mass was in Latin. And many people didn't really understand Latin, but nevertheless, they went to mass they understood the symbols and they understood some of the expressions, but nevertheless, that's the way it was until the 1960s when the Vatican II, what is known as Vatican II, uh, changed that situation about Latin and allowed every country to decide what language or the local language uh, they wanted to use. So that's, uh, that's the story of a Latin mass. But here in the last few years, there has been a real interest, particularly by young people in the Latin mass. And if you go to any Latin mass, you're going to be amazed at the number of young people, young families, husband, wife, little boys and girls who are at these masses. And there's been a, a real boom uh, of these Latin masses. And you've got these parishes, you know, opening up, uh, or not opening up, but having a Latin mass much more frequently than you would imagine. And, and the seminaries are attracting a lot of young men to work uh, as priests in many of these uh, Latin, Latin masses. So I was thinking about this, and then all of a sudden I saw this article by Selena Zito, who writes a great deal about, you know, issues in Pennsylvania, Ohio, Indiana, New Jersey, that part of the country. I think she lives in that area, and she writes a great deal about what's happening there politically and some of the other cultural trends. Uh, that are happening in those areas. So she wrote an article about the Latin mass, talking about how the Latin mass was growing and attracting more and more, particularly young people. So it caught my attention because I had noticed the same thing here in the Dallas area. We have one parish uh, that we went to one day. And I mean, the parish was full of people. And I was impressed that it was full of young people. Because frankly, a lot of the other Catholic masses are not full of young people. They're full of people, but they're not young. You don't have a lot of, let's say, under 25 attending a lot of Catholic masses these days. 
But at that church, there were a bunch of them. At that Latin mass church, there were a lot of young people. And they seemed to be very active. And, you know, after the mass, they had a lot of different get-togethers. And it was very interesting. I, I was really fascinated by the whole thing. So the article by Selena Zito was kind of caught me at the right time because I had been thinking about this Latin mass issue uh, for a few weeks. Now, why is the mass growing? You know, why is the Latin mass all of a sudden of interest to a lot of young people? You know, I wrote in the article that I think, first of all, I think there is some disenchantment with Pope Francis. And I wrote in the article that I think Pope Francis means well, but sometimes he'll say things. I mean, his focus on climate change, I think, is unnecessary. Of course, we, we want the climate to be protected. But this obsession that he has with the climate change issue is, is one that I don't think is connecting with a lot of conservatives. Uh, then you have other issues like immigration. Basically, he's an open borders kind of guy. You know, he's basically saying you got to let them in and you got to take care of them, which, of course, is difficult when you have countries dealing with other resources that they don't have the resources to accept people in, in the millions uh, like that. And then, of course, you have the more recent commentary where he said it was OK to bless same-sex couple. I think that caught a lot of Catholics. Uh, they, they changed it later. They rephrased it later and simply saying that he was not endorsing same-sex marriage. He was simply saying that, you know, you have to bless people at the church. I think the, it's sort of the idea that you hate the sin, but you don't punish or hate the sinner, that kind of, of argument. But I think there's a lot of dissatisfaction, some sense that Pope Francis maybe is a little bit too woke for uh, the Catholic Church, which is still a very conservative, conservative church. So I think that has a lot to do with the growth of what is happening. Now, I, on, on a personal basis, I really like the traditions and the symbolism of the Latin Mass. I don't go to a Latin Mass every Sunday. I go to an English-speaking Mass. But I love the traditions of the Latin Mass. And I love, uh, you know, the, the feeling that you have when you go to a Latin mass, that this has been the practice for centuries, and that's what you're participating in. Uh, and I also love the fact that a lot of young people are going to that mass. That's a good sign. That's a good sign that more people are looking at the Catholic faith. So anyway, just a different topic, the Latin mass, not usually the politics that we get into from time to time, but just fascinating what's happening with the Latin Mass. And if you look around your community, you're going to find out that uh, parishes uh, doing the Mass in Latin. I think you're going to find out how interesting how interesting it is. I have a post uh, coming out uh, Thursday morning talking about President Trump and what appears to be a strategy. Uh, I mean, I think we can assume at this point of the game that Donald Trump is going to be the nominee, unless something were to happen, unless something out of the radar were to happen, I think it's pretty obvious that he's going to be the nominee. So the question that becomes, what does he do? What kind of campaign strategy does he put together? Right now, what we're hearing is, and this is an article uh, that appeared in the, in the press, what we're hearing is that they're trying to expand the map. In other words, Trump wants to go and go beyond the red states and maybe pick up a few blue states as he did in 2010 and even go further than that, pick up uh, a state like Minnesota, maybe even a state like New Jersey, maybe even New York. And, 
you know, I, I appreciate the fact that he has this strategy because I think this might be the year where you could pull off something like that because there is such dissatisfaction with the Biden administration. I mean, this is across the board. You're seeing it in all the reports and all the polls coming out. You're seeing great dissatisfaction uh, with the Biden administration. They're just the results are just pathetic. Uh, I mean, this situation on the border is just incredible. There was a something I was watching on TV yesterday, that President Biden comes back from a vacation and one of the reporters says, what are you going to do about the border? And he says, well, they got to give me more money for the border. They don't have to give him a dime for the border. All he has to do is sign some executive orders, the, the ones that he reversed from President Trump, and enforce the law the way it is. But they keep going, you know, blaming the Congress. Now they're going to start blaming the Congress and so on. So people are very unhappy with President Biden. So I think that could help, uh, you know, President Trump pick up a few more states than a Republican usually does. I think another key factor is Robert F. Kennedy Jr. Robert F. Kennedy is working very hard at getting himself in all 50 ballot in all 50 states. And if on election day, 2024, the American people are voting between Trump. Uh, Biden and Robert Kennedy. I think you could look at maybe 15% for Robert Kennedy. I mean, a number like that, 10 to 15%. That could really be the difference uh, in a state like New Jersey, uh, in a state like Wisconsin, where Biden the last time won those states by less than 10 points. And that could be the, the turning factor. That could be what turns many of those states red. The fact that that uh, that Robert Kennedy keeps uh, President Biden from going over 50 percent and bringing him down, let's say, to the mid to low 40s, which would then allow President Trump to win those states in a plurality, not the majority, but a plurality and maybe the mid to, to high 40s. So I think it's a good strategy. For the Biden for the Trump administration to expand the map, I think it is a good strategy. I also think it's extremely important if you're talking about expanding the map. I think it's extremely important to pick the right vice president. And you know, people are talking about putting a woman on the ticket. That's the conventional wisdom. I think most voters are beyond that. Voters are beyond the gender thing and the race thing. I, I just I think people are beyond that. They're sick and tired of that game. What they want is somebody who's very qualified. And I recommend uh, Dr. Carson, for example, uh, as a man who I think would bring a lot of value to the ticket. Uh, former Secretary Pompeo is another one because he would bring a lot of foreign policy credentials at a time when I think that's going to be uh, an important topic. So selecting a vice president, I think, would also help you expand uh, the electoral map in 2024. So we'll see. We'll see what uh, what happens with that. Quickly, on this day in history, 1961, that's 63 years ago today, the United States broke diplomatic relations with Cuba. This is two years after the Castro regime came to power. Now, this is one of the last things that President Eisenhower did before passing the, the baton to the new Kennedy administration. He broke diplomatic relations with Cuba on this day in 1961. I can tell you that I spoke with my father several times about this. And my father said that by that time, there was a great deal of dissatisfaction in Cuba with the Castro regime. And I think there was hope that something could happen 
to bring down the Castro regime. Unfortunately, well, we know the story, the Bay of Pigs and then the missile crisis and uh, Castro or the regime has been in power for a very long time. But on this day in 1961, a ray of hope when the United States broke diplomatic uh, relations uh, with Cuba. Thank you for listening. Have a wonderful day, everybody. We'll talk to you later. This is uh, Silvio Canto in Dallas.